0: What's up, Pivot Project? I'm here with my good friend, Andrew Zachariah, today. And uh, we're going to do just a little quick uh, chat on, on, on something I think is going to create a lot of value for you guys. Uh, I've known Andrew for a very long time, and I'm not going to date myself and say how long. But uh, we were <laughs> pretty me. much adults already. <laughs> and, uh, and and basically, Andrew's always had entrepreneurial tendencies. He's you know someone that I would consider in our circle of friends as someone that's definitely... Um, in the in that one percent from a work ethic, but also has the vision to to follow through on that. So I think um, I, I I don't want to make Andrew uh, and he's he's humble, so he's not going to brag about himself. But uh, I'll, I'll provide a, a quick summary of you know where he started and and you know in the corporate world, climbed that corporate ladder into into different management leadership positions, and then realized he wanted to pivot. And I, we'll talk about sort of how you found that way out sort of to have a side hustle to guarantee to make a smooth transition because i also know he's also an accountant at a ca which makes him risk averse by nature so i think if he can do it <laughs> all of you should be able to do it I Hope everyone. <laughs> so you know he went through that he, he's always had uh you know some real estate on the side which he's grown and he can talk about it. and he's pivoted he's tried a few businesses now has an accounting practice here in Toronto um, and, and, and real estate uh, investments on the side. Is that a fair summary of uh, who Andrew is?
1: Yeah, I think it gives a go review of what to kind of expect and we'll talk about my journey.
0: Awesome. So, so walk us just sort of, Andrew, from you graduated, you were an accountant. At what point did you realize you needed to pivot that you, this wasn't the path that you were, you were made for
1: yeah, so I think for me, um, I graduated from university, obtained an accounting designation after working three years at a large accounting firm here in Toronto. Had an opportunity to go down to London, England, do a secondment there for a year. So by the end of that term, that was the first time I found I really had to evaluate what's the next step. First three years out of university, I was working, you had to put your work experience in to obtain your designation as an accountant. The next year was a secondment, so it was a fun time. I was living in England, traveling, enjoying Europe, and kind of growing and learning more about myself. And then at the end of that term, when I came back to Canada, that's the first time I thought, okay, what's next? I realized I didn't want to work in public practice. I also wanted to try something new, something more forward-looking instead of looking in the past, because as an auditor, you're always looking historically. Um, So I went into an internal audit role, which is, at Sears, trying to help them add value and improve their operations in a way that they're doing things. Uh, I actually quite enjoyed that role. It was only there for eight months, so not very long. I had an opportunity come to me with Holt Renfrew to do the same thing, except for a much smaller scale because it was a growing business. I identified more with kind of the branding, and then also Sears, as people probably know, um, was you know, the, the future was uncertain. So again, like what you said at the beginning with my risk-adverse nature, I thought this might be a good time to make this move. Mm. So I went to Holt Renfrew, worked there for a couple years and a couple roles. And after a couple years, I really started to feel like, you know what, I'm just missing something. I couldn't quite pinpoint what it was. Mm. I didn't feel that challenge. Mm. I think for me initially, I wanted to get my designation. Then I wanted to earn a certain amount of money as a salary, thinking that what that's what's gonna make me happy
0: and mm-hmm. fulfilled. Mm-hmm.
1: When I reached that level, I still felt like something was missing, but I couldn't pinpoint what, what it was. Mm. For the my second role at Holt Renfrew, I had to commute about 45 minutes each way. So I kind of thought that that might be my dissatisfaction is because I'm driving every day and spending time in traffic. So I took on a very similar role, but at Canadian t- Tire Head Office, which is at Young and Eglinton, which is downtown. Again, few months in there, I still felt restless. I still felt like, Something's missing and I couldn't figure out what it was. My brother's an entrepreneur. Uh, he's been so for the last 17 years. He's actually only worked at one job and that's why he's in university. Otherwise, he's always been independent. And the most excitement I've had working, that if I can remember, is when I worked in university at Future Shop. Mm. I was a commissioned salesperson. So I had really no guaranteed earnings and I would only earn what I sold. So... I still remember that excitement of going out there, finding business, finding clients, trying to get more people to kind of build my network and have people come in and ask for me explicitly, provide them with great service, and as a direct result of my efforts, I would be paid more money. Um, In the corporate world, I found no matter how much time and effort and hard work I put in, even if I excelled, there's always this expectation that you have to spend a certain amount of time in your role when you're ready for the next role, Your trajectory is pretty linear and you kind of have an idea of where you're going to be in the next five years, 10 years, 20 years, give or take with some luck, some change, some you you can maybe add or or lose a couple years here or there. Um, But for me, that certainty wasn't necessarily exciting. Mm. So I thought, you know what, what's the worst case scenario if I do try something on my own? And I didn't know what that would be. A first step for me was figuring out, I do want to do something on my own, but what's that going to be? And I thought the worst case scenario is if I do go on my own, I could always get a job. I know my skills are marketable. I know I have a good experience, good background, education, contacts through you know, 10 years of working in various companies. Mm-hmm. So that's kind of where it started for me is knowing that I need to do something different. And I want to find that passion and excitement again and I think that might be working for myself. Hmm. So.
0: so so then once you came up with that hypothesis, I know you went into the real estate piece where, you, I mean, it was literally just get a license to figure out that I can make money back to that pure commission, but I'm relying on your, your sales skills. How, how much would you attribute your success to actually having that sales skills as an
1: entrepreneur? I'd say that Probably 90, 95% of my success wow. is from salesmanship. And I'll tell you why because every single thing I'm doing, even with my business today, for three years, I'm three years in, it's somehow tied to sales. Hmm. Whether it's selling a new client on why they should work with us whether it's selling an existing client on why they should stay with us or how we can help them or why they should hire us for this new type of project Mm. whether it's convincing a staff member that this is kind of way we need to do things and here's why and here's how you fit into it Mm. Um, I think it's combined with sales but also having a passion for what I'm doing
0: Mm.
1: being able to sell my message and when I say sales I don't mean I'm trying to convince people things that I don't truly believe I think having that salesmanship inside me lets me better portray what my passion, my vision is to others mm. in a way that they can understand and you know, hopefully they come along the ride with me. Um, so I, I'd say it helped me a lot, definitely. Got it. it got me comfortable approaching people, going to networking events, speaking. I've done speaking at Globe and Mail Small Business Summit for hundreds of people. All that comfort, that I, that ability to do that and be comfortable in front of a large audience or a new client, mm. or you know someone who's built a ten million dollar business, all that comes from salesmanship, from practice, from approaching and approaching, being rejected, because I was rejected so many times. So, rejection's part of sales. If you're a successful salesperson, you're rejected a lot, mm. and it's the same with business. There's going to be rejection and failures along the way. So.
0: Easy that's a lot actually I resonated with a lot I mean we've had a lot of this discussions before but what you're saying that resonated on so many levels I just want to unpack it a little bit because I think this is really valuable for someone who really needs to audit themselves first and understand what's valuable for them because we talked about you know the comfort zone was actually what was making you unhappy that certainty but for some people certainty is the most important driver so you know for, for those people who maybe are sitting and thinking about it they need to understand what is it that you want because if what you want is stability, entrepreneurialism is probably the last thing you should do. And if you're unhappy, you probably need to go find some other stable place where you're happy.
1: See, but I disagree. I feel like entrepreneurship is more stable. Mm. For me anyways, because my revenue, my livelihood is dependent on so many people. Mm. Whereas when I work somewhere, if that company downsize, like look at Sears, for example, right? Yeah. Yeah. They've had to unfortunately let people go. Um, because business is not doing well. And then mm. those people are now in a position where they don't have a source of income. They're mm. trying to find something, and hopefully, you know, mm. they're able to find something comparable, but they might have to take a position that they're not happy with. Got it. Right. So for me, my income is from a lot of different people. Um, so I think I'm more stable and secure mm. than someone who is relying on one.
0: So even if it's one business, it's still multiple sources within that business. I get that. Yeah, it reminds me of a. of a quote one of my mentors once said that said he asked me where he was trying to paint that same logic that you had to me where he said if if someone gave you an investment but told you you to put all your time and money into it on the flip side you may be able to get one or two percent return on the downside you may lose everything including the principal would you invest in and i said that's insane i would never do it he goes well that's your job
1: and and you're building someone else's dream right that's the other thing too for me there's a residual value that I've built mm. that even at some point I don't want to do what I'm doing anymore. If I have built the right product and business, I can take that and yeah. sell it. Mm. So all those years of hard work and effort have built some type of business that has a value that can be sold. Mm. So I could walk away and have something versus walking away from a company and pretty much the money stops. Mm.
0: Mm. I think still, though, the, the next point there was really about knowing who you are from, from a personality in sales, because there's a lot of people who maybe misunderstand sales. And I like how you put it, that sales is really influencing on your vision, right? It's, it's painting the picture for people to be able to, for them to see what you see and for them to follow, to basically lead, right, on a, on a possibility. So I like that, that it's not necessarily, you know, sometimes sales has a negative connotation in a very small micro of like a used car salesman, that sales where it's slimy or something, but sales is really just how you communicate and influence others without direct authority.
1: Yeah, I agree. And everybody will use their salesmanship in different ways, and like some would use it in that context that is negative, and mm. that's why there's that perception out there. But mm. most things you're doing in life are sales, mm. one way or another. Yeah. Um, even when you, if you have a child and you're trying to explain to them and convince them to do a chore mm. or. Yeah. Uh, you know, yeah. eat that meal and then you can go out and play. Uh, there's yeah. some element of kind of conveying your message to them in a totally. way that, and, and sales applies, you'd have to apply yourself differently to your audience,
0: right? Yeah, so. that's true. So, <clears throat> you made that decision and walk us through a little bit now that I need to find a way to, to make an income to have that bridge. You obviously didn't quit your job the second you realized that you, you found a way to have a side hustle and mitigate the risk, right? Yeah, so
1: it was a planning exercise. I said, okay, I'm going to leave this job. I made that decision actually in November, and I ended up leaving my job in August. Okay, So that gives you kind of mm-hmm. the time frame that I was looking at. It's quite a long time horizon. Um, the first thing I did is I spoke with another accounting firm that I had a relationship with, and they were intending to bring me on um, with the end goal of becoming a partner in one to two years. So we explored that for a little while around the holiday season. That was something I decided that I didn't want to do. And then I thought I'm going to go on my own and what skill do I have that's marketable is accounting. So maybe I'll start an accounting practice, do consulting, do tax, see where it goes, let the market dictate where there's a need. But obviously in the meantime, I'm not going to have any source of income immediately because it takes time to build a business. So first thing I did is calculated how much I actually truly need to live. And then once I figured that amount out, I thought, okay, maybe with one new source of income, that's not going to be consistent enough. But maybe if I have two sources that are inconsistent, they'll equal one consistent source, at least on a you know yeah. quarterly basis. Yeah. So the other passion I had was real estate so i looked into it and i thought you know I me mean, i can get a real estate license i realized three months is probably the time horizon so while i was working full-time i was going to class in the evening at the real estate college and within three months i had a real estate license so this brought me to about two months before i left my full-time employment i had a real estate license as well i was doing all the setup for my accounting practice set up the corporation started marketing kind of got everything ready and ironically i had your wedding leading up to this as well, which was in August. So I thought I would leave my, my role, go on vacation, celebrate your wedding, and then when I come back in September, that's when I'll start kind of full time with the foundation and groundwork that I laid before I went away. Mm. The business plan, the advertising, all those kind of things. Um, so that that's for me, it kind of, I had two different types of businesses that were both new to me going on. One familiar as an accountant, one real estate as a passion. And I let the market and what I've learned along the way guide towards where I'm gonna focus my energy, which has been on the accounting. That's what I've built as an accounting firm. Mm. But real estate I've kept and I started investing on the side as a real estate investor, you know, and that's Mm. the side hustle that I have currently. So I think you need to have more than one source of income and one thing going on at the same time.
0: Um let's peel that a little bit because you know, I hear so many times of real, people who go and get a real estate license on a pure commission and end up you know, driving Uber to make ends meet or, or whatever, because it's not the fact that you took that, those steps alone that was sufficient. What, what, what would you say was the glue that, what made you drive it? Was it just your work ethic? Was it your sales skills? Was it something else there that kind of made it a success story for you versus a failed experiment?
1: So for me and I don't know what's caused this but I cannot be happy knowing that I've not done what I view as my best possible effort Mm. and the way I get that excitement and feel fulfilled is by feeling like I'm number one Mm. you know and so as real estate when I started I went to the brokerage I found a brokerage I felt I liked and I went to all the meetings that they had initially trying to get all the learning I could because you can learn from others who have experience in something. That's how you can take their mistakes or their trials and yep. kind of apply it to yourself to hopefully skip some steps. Yeah. And I was posting every single day on Kijiji two to three times a day in Craigslist as well, which are free. Deleting, reposting, deleting, reposting, looking for a real estate agent. I can help you for free. And that happened for about three months from while I was working full time I was still because I got my license two months before I quit Mm. leading up to end of August so for three months straight I was posting and reposting five to six ads a day to try to generate business for that real estate thing so I would kind of be on a a start when I quit my job Mm. and that in itself that's how I started the real estate side getting a lot of business initially was from that tenacity and just trying something out Mm. so I think it just came down to me being the type of person that, first, there's no clock. I work a lot all the time, and I think any successful entrepreneur that I work with, even as a client or even from my own experience, Mm. there's no substitution for hard, hard work and dedication and trying everything you possibly can. So, So just pure grind. Yeah, pure, pure, pure grind, working relentlessly towards a target trying things you don't know if it's going to work unless you try it so trying things and initially you're budget conscious right mm. i didn't i was also the longer i've been an entrepreneur the less scared i am to and make investments in myself mm. because i feel confident that i can recover from a failure and or will be successful in my decisions mm. Mm. And that's probably based on a track record that I've built for myself over the last few years. Mm. Um, But initially, I was scared. I thought, okay, I'm starting a business. I'm not gonna have any money coming in. Mm. I can't afford to advertise. How am I gonna advertise? I don't have any income. So that was kind of the mindset that I I had. I had a mortgage, you know, so I had these other responsibilities. So that's where I said, okay, what's free? What's free is putting ads every day multiple times a day, going to networking events. Those are free. Emailing my friends and family, asking for them to help me. Mm. Mm. Um, Reaching out to my network that I've established, a greater network over the years as an accountant uh, at various companies. Mm. Sharing with everybody, hey, this is what I'm doing now, on Facebook, Mm. posting a message. Mm. So any free thing I could think of without overstepping the boundaries that I thought existed with those relationships, depending where they were at, whether professional, you know, friends, Mm. somewhere in the middle, Mm. I did. Until I generated enough, but not enough, to force me to take those next steps.
0: Mm. Mm-hmm. When you say not enough you mean because you had a dollar amount and you're ahead of what you needed to make, or you mean not enough because that bar keeps changing?
1: The bar keeps changing. Yeah. The difference between someone in my view who's making five million a year and making one million and you know, five hundred thousand and a hundred thousand is the way that they view the relationship with numbers and money. Yeah. And the numbers get just bigger, but the decisions around it might be the same. So yep. for example, your yep. first advertisement, you might spend $500 on it, that's your advertising budget, which is fine. And you allocate that, and maybe that results in $100 of sales. If you tweak that, that same $500 might result in $300 of sales. Similarly, someone who's $10 million a year, they might be spending $1 million or $2 on advertising, and if they've got the formula right, it's gonna generate another 500000 or $1 million in sales. Hmm. So the premise is the same. The numbers that they're working with are larger. And then those larger numbers can only be attained by having the right team support you. And that's the one thing that changes as you grow as an entrepreneur. It no longer becomes just you. You need to have a team. Otherwise, you will quickly max out your scalability. Yeah, time
0: is the only finite resource. I totally get that.
1: Yeah, with me, without my team, I would be nowhere. Mm-hmm. And having the best people possible available for the best value and price and where I'm at in my journey, because the people that you need with you along your journey will change as well as your yeah kind of steps to where you're at Because you need
0: different things different things I, I like that actually because the way I visualize it is you know if it if it's on a scale of one to ten in business leadership or value that you're creating, if you're a five, you can only attract, there's the law of the lid, right? You can only attract a one, two, three, or four because the max value you can produce as a five. If you try to recruit a six, they're going to leave you because you're not providing them any value or growth back. So as you grow in business, because really it's just a value exchange, the more value you create, the more money you can make, the more people you're helping, then you can start recruiting the five, which you were three or four or five years ago. So of course the people change because you change. And as you evolve, I love that actually, because your whole goal is just to become bigger, to be able to give back more, to be able to recruit you in the past.
1: Yeah, that's absolutely true. If I take myself as an example, I started out of my house and then my first staff i hired and you had been to my first office i was sharing with a lawyer he had a full practice with several staff i rented an office in the corner yeah so the first staff and second staff i hired sat in an office that was 80 square feet and we all shared that space so when i bring someone in for an interview and i say here's your work environment there's three of us including you know your boss who's going to be in this 80 square foot space And also while you're working, there's gonna be client meetings because there's no other space to use and you're gonna have to learn how to deal with the noise, my phone calls, my discussions, me seeing what you're doing all day. That's gonna attract a different person versus today bring someone in where you have a nice work environment, you have meeting rooms, you have other people that you're surrounded with that you feel are strong, you can learn from and develop from. And also a better client base to work with which entices people to join me because they say, wow, I get access to all these cool clients that I can work with versus initially, here's two clients. Yeah. You know, yeah. these are these are the people you're working with. So it changes, it gets easier from that side, but also gets harder mm. because you have to learn how to shift more of your time from focusing on running the day to day operations, meaning managing the clients, to stepping back, letting other people do that and you focusing your time on strategy and growing. Mm. That's kind of the, you will have problems along the whole way as an entrepreneur, but those problems will change as time goes on and as your business reaches the different levels of growth. Love it. Love it.
0: So what, what are some of the, and I'm sure you get stuff from your clients that helps you grow because at a certain point, your clients may have to be at a higher level than you, unlike your employees.
1: Absolutely. I've learned a lot of what I do from my clients. That's amazing. If somebody has built a business that's doing five million a, million a year in revenue and they have a thousand clients, they've obviously done something right. Um, and w- I'm fortunate enough as an accountant to get to see the intimate details of how they've done that, mm. how they're spending their money. Mm. So I have, for example, when I really started to invest in advertising in my business, um, I first started at three hundred dollars a month for my accounting firm, and I was that was a lot for me. I was scared and then there was a light bulb moment where I literally tripled that and then very quickly brought it up to fifteen hundred dollars a month within the two month period mm-hmm. and what you're charging clients? No, this is advertising that I'm spending oh, okay sorry, not my billable, but what I is investing in advertising got it, so my advertising investment went up dramatically, yeah. And why I made that, and that is where, that was November of, well, it'd be two years ago, yeah. that's when I made that decision. Yeah. And that is the turning point in my business. Mm. Because that's when I really started to take off and started getting a lot of clients is when I made that investment. Mm. Until then, it was very, very slow growth. Um, but why I made that decision to do that is one of my clients, we would have a call every two weeks to review the budget and cash flow. And on that call, it was, what's the money coming in? What are we spending? What's the future outlook for the next six weeks? We always look six weeks out. Mm. Okay, what's left over after we pay everything, we take some money for ourselves, what do we have left in the bank? Okay, every dollar of that's going to advertising. Literally. That, literally every dollar, I'm talking right to the overdraft, so. right to the end. <laughs> so seeing them view the business like that Mm. And then someone like me thinking, well, you know, $300 a month on advertising, that's a lot of money. Mm. I'm scared. You know, it's emotional,
0: not necessarily a, a strategic decision. It's
1: a lack of experience mm. for me. And it's a natural tendency when you start out that you're worried about your success mm. and believing in yourself.
0: Mm. Mm. So, so what, what, what's the craziest lesson that you've learned from a client? I know you've got some pretty crazy ones.
1: Uh, I mean that one example is great um, I think constantly from what I see from my successful clients is they invest in advertising they invest in people they invest in process and they invest in the product that they're selling mm. in my case the product being a service um, so spending as much time as you can so as an example one of my clients two days a week of, of their week are, are focused for creative time Mm. those two days they're not at all in the office they really don't have any meetings they pretty much are alone and that forcing that time and imposing that on yourself is Mm. very very challenging as Mm. an entrepreneur especially Mm. at the onset when you don't have a team Mm. so for me I had myself and then a small team which I had very very strong control of Mm. and then trying to relinquish that control is a challenge, but the most successful entrepreneurs that I've seen learn how to relinquish that control. Mm -hmm. So I forced myself even to try to take that time and force it and impose it in my schedule. Got it. So that's another great lesson I've learned. Um, Nothing too, I guess, crazy in the sense that they're doing some ritual where they're going to a mountain every day. and. Uh, you know sitting on that mountain that'll be
0: next week with michael (laughs) Xavier. yeah but everybody's
1: different and success means something different for everyone and what everybody needs is different so you just got to be self-aware about what's important to you got it Um, for you to be able to perform at your peak i need to do xyz for others to perform at their peak they need to do these and Mm. what lessons can i take and apply it to my life
0: so then it's contextual it's here's the book here's what other people are doing but then again the self-awareness is key to be able to tell these three apply to me based on the context based on my personality based on my job based on where i'm at versus these things don't apply
1: yeah it's and it's knowing what you're good at and what you're not mm. right you're not going to be good at everything nor do you want to be good at everything
0: so how do you bridge that
1: your so gaps? Uh, the way i look at it is where can i where should i spend my time that's going to generate the most return on that time invested, yeah. So maybe there's 20 activities I can do: answering emails, making calls, cold calls, um, you know, going to networking events, attending client meetings in person, reviewing existing client spend versus you know return, all different things I can do. But you want to the thing that I can spend my time on and generate the most return for my business, whether it's financial or bringing me towards that strategic goal that I have set for myself, that's where I spend my time. Got it. Everything else, I try my best to outsource to someone who can do that task and or is better than me at doing that task. Mm. Like a marketing person. I can market, but I'm not the best marketer, mm. right? And even if I could market, I obviously can generate more return doing accounting stuff and not even all accounting stuff, Bookkeeping, day-to-day things, I shouldn't be doing. Mm -hmm. I should be doing the high-level, high-charge, out-rate task myself Mm. and or direct client-facing things like meeting or business development.
0: Because that's your strong suit, back to the sales discussion.
1: That's the strong suit. I can get a client, I can give them to someone who's competent to manage that client Mm day-to-day. But to hire someone who can go out there and get the client, it's not as easy as a role to fill as it is to fill a role who... This person's going to sit and all they're going to do is tax returns Mm -hmm. on a computer all day. Mm. They have 20 years of tax experience. They know that. Mm. That's an easier role to fill than it is to find someone who can sell and knows finance and kind of can answer those questions. It's a harder role to fill.
0: Got that. Got that. So what would you give... An advice to someone who's watching this maybe and is look is on the internet because they're trying to maybe they came across this because they searched for some keywords but they're in that little you know Venn diagram of they're in a job maybe they've committed years to school or to their career but they're feeling similar to what you talked about just not fully fulfilled or happy or disengaged and they're trying to decide a if this makes sense for me and then B if it does how do I take the first step like what's what would be the punchline that you would want to give, like for them advice, here's me, here's a story that I've had, but really this is summed up, here's how to pivot.
1: So I'm just going to go from my experience, but also from clients I have, I think yeah. they all are business owners and they're yeah. at various stages. Yeah. So there's two approaches. Number one, you could do what I've done and that's pretty much quit. And I have 100% of your focus on something, mm. and that forced me to have to figure out a way to make it work. Mm. And if, and I've changed the direction so many times to make it work. Yeah. The other option, where I've seen other clients, is why they're working full time. They aren't yet ready to make that step to go, you know, fully into business mm. um, for whatever financial commitments or you know they just not don't have the risk tolerance or they're not sure if their idea is going to work. And that's fine. So then you started as a part-time business while you're working full-time, set a plan, set targets. A lot of my clients say, hey, I'm now one year into this working two jobs and I'm seeing a demand for my side business, Mm. I'm quitting my full-time job now. And I've seen Mm. that transition happen several times. Mm. So I think just taking the first step, which is Mm. the hardest thing to do, is taking the first step because that's required for you to find out where your path is going to lead you. If you don't take that first step and just start something, Mm. then you're never going to reach any of those other steps, which might be things that you can never think about or envision today. Mm. So just take a step, part-time, full-time. One of them, what's the risk part-time? All you're risking is your time, Mm -hmm. right? If you have a secure income, then you're risking your free time, mm. which is hard to, to do. But to be honest with you, even as a full-time entrepreneur, you're gonna have to sacrifice your free time if you wanna be successful. Touche. So you might as well get used to it now. <laughs> <laughs>
0: That's a good test to see if you're ready for that. It is, Yeah, yes, absolutely. Love that. So from a, from an opportunity perspective, you've gone further now and you've built, you've invested all your time and energy at the beginning on, on this primary business, but now you've got a a team you've got a a partner how are you transitioning because i understand you're now going back into the real estate stuff which is something you've had for many years where you've had multiple properties invested and rented but you actually had a a property rental executive furnished uh condos condos for for a while i remember and that was also interesting because then he had all these other businesses he realized he was paying so much for people to clean his this is how you can tell someone is an entrepreneur. He sees the opportunity, he sees the ROI, starts a cleaning company because he's got properties. I love that story. <laughs> <laughs> um, until he realized how much time it was to maintain a, a, a cleaning company. <laughs> back to the time thing. But, um, but what, 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 where are you going now? Like what's your thought process? How do you manage those priorities?
1: Yeah, so I guess going back to the real estate side, fat, backtracking when I started my business, um, I also started uh, trying to invest in rental properties in the condo market. And I ended up acquiring two rental condos. You got in real
0: early in Toronto. Yeah,
1: I bought my first property in 2007.
0: So that was like.
1: And then I bought a second one in 2009. And I sold the one from 2007. I sold the one from 2009. And then that gave me a little bit of capital to work with to acquire two other rental properties. Um, so between running my business which was the accounting firm and trying to grow that I had these two rental properties at the time I saw a need in the marketplace for property rental uh, furnished property rental you have transient visitors in Toronto Airbnb has grown a lot yeah but Airbnb again was only good for you know a day two days a week but what if someone needs a two-month kind of place so I put my properties on a website called executive furnished condos that I created just my two properties, um, because I thought it looked better to people to rent from a website versus seeing it out on Kijiji and just calling. I rented my property as quickly, and then other people called me and said, you still have a property? I thought, well, I don't, but this presents an opportunity. So I went out there and I found, it was really easy. All I did is I contacted people on Kijiji who were advertising their property, and I said, can I advertise your property on my site? You only have to pay me if I rent it, and if I don't rent it, there's no risk to you, rent it on your own. People were pretty amicable to that. And I ended up having 24 properties on my site. As a result of that, Expedia contacted me during the Pan Am Games and said, would you want to rent some of your properties as a hotel because we're short? So I accepted that and I put, of my 24 properties, I had five that agreed to that model, mine yeah. and other ones. And yeah. some other ones said no because you can't go get the condo rules, regulations. I only did the Expedia thing for about four months, which is largely over the summer period, and that's where the cleaning company came in that you mentioned, um, because I had to have cleaners come in to clean these properties as being rented as kind of a hotel, yeah. and I thought, why not start, start fresh and bright cleaning? Um, because I'm paying cleaners a lot, I might as well have a full-time cleaner. And then I went out and found cleaning contracts. I was cleaning a sushi restaurant. <laughs> so anyways, that, that... Being good
0: at sales is a double-edged sword.
1: <laughs> so I realized quickly I have all these things going on and they're all good, but none of them are great. Yeah. Um, and where do I want to focus my energy and time? And that decision was clearly on the accounting firm. So I closed the cleaning company because it, you know, th- most of its clients came from the condo business. And when I yeah. shut down the daily rental portion, I lost a lot of his clients, mine is a restaurant, and some people kept calling me. Even till today, people call me sometimes that I've cleaned and said, can you come clean? Um, the condo business, I, I sent a note to every property management company yeah. that's doing something similar in Toronto as a BCC and said, I have this business, here's my website, here's my Google rankings, I had a chart attached.
0: Because you uh, focused on marketing, you did SEO, so that paid off. Yeah,
1: exactly, trying to get, that's how people are gonna find you, by Google search. So I invested in that and uh, long story short, I ended up selling that company to an existing competitor. Mm. Um, So that's where that one went. Um, Then I sold off my condos and -hmm. I thought, okay, I have nothing right now in terms of real estate investments. What should I do? I do like real estate. I thought the condo market was saturated. Um, I still do think it is to be honest, but there's still people buying it and the market's strong. So I've turned my attention to something that I think is an opportunity now, which is commercial real estate. So our office, our team's grown. We are team now at the accounting from seven people. So we've purchased a, an office at King and Spadina here in Toronto, which we're moving into. We're in the process of doing a full renovation. Um, I've just bought a house at St Clair and Runnymede, so that's also undergoing a huge renovation, um, full top to bottom. And then we recently acquired a, another commercial residential mix unit on the Danforth area. Mm. Um, so that all that is simultaneously happening while I'm doing my accounting firm, but I've set things up in a way that the day-to-day is being managed by the staff, the team, and I can also put some attention to these other, nurturing these other types of ventures that I have going on.
0: But you didn't do that from day one. I think one of the you know, risks, and I, I see pitfalls is people kind of have the next new shiny thing syndrome and they don't have the patience to actually build something till it's sustainable. So I think the key point here is you spent a couple of years building the accounting firm before you even from a timing perspective tried, because when you did try to look at other things, you realized that there wasn't enough time to scale any one of them at the same time.
1: Yeah. So year one was all these things, the accounting firm, then the property management, real estate agent, cleaning company. I shut everything for two years, focused exclusively on the accounting firm. I've had a partner join in. Uh, partner came in in March, and then these acquisitions I'm talking about are July and uh, August of Got this it. year. Got it. So I did a good two years of intense focus on the accounting firm, yep. and now I'm also in a position where I can outsource. Well, one of these acquisitions is is for uh, this this business, the accounting firm. Why pay rent to the place we're at? Why not pay it towards ourselves? Mm-hmm. Um, the other ones are, are so I can, you know, live ones for me to live in,
0: because
1: mm. I think there's an opportunity in this detached housing market mm. uh, in certain pockets. And then the other one's just an investment, um, whether we use it as an office for our business or we rent something else there. Mm. And then you have a rental apartment upstairs. So mm. there's a lot of good opportunities, I think, right now for mm. certain investments. But you're right. You can't do everything at once. You need to have a focus until you get something mature, and then you can slowly start to build your next thing.
0: And I think that to me was the biggest learning in this whole journey as I started building my entrepreneurial experience is my, and it's my bias, but I believe most people don't have the capacity to focus on something long enough to actually see it through.
1: I think if you're any relatively sane individual, you know, the tendencies don't want to quit. Mm. Because it's very, very hard. There's mm-hmm. going to be a lot of failures, mm-hmm. a lot of setbacks, a lot of questions. You know, mm-hmm. Why is this happening like this? And also, you've been trained from day one to be an employee, if you think about it, for all your years of schooling. Yep. Everything yep. has set you up to be an employee. School system, yeah. Which is fine, right? Because yep. that's the majority of people fall into that bucket. Mm. But initially, when I left my job, the natural tendency when I got scared is... What am I doing? Maybe I should go get a job again? <laughs> because that that's what I felt safe. Yeah, yeah. Now, there's really a 0% chance of me getting a job. Even if someone knocked on the door with a great job offer. Yeah. Um, I really enjoy being able to choose how I spend my time and where I put my focus. Mm. And that is... True
0: freedom, time freedom.
1: Yeah, true freedom. Maybe I could earn more money if I went and got a job mm. or you know, maybe there's something out there that would pay more. Mm. but nothing's going to offer the ultimate flexibility that I feel as an entrepreneur today. Mm. Mm.
0: Awesome. Well, thanks, uh, everybody. And uh, thank you, Andrew. Really appreciate it. Pleasure.
1: No, my pleasure. Thanks for having me. And yeah, next time.